Ephesians 3, 1, 1 to 13. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise of Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace, given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the, re the least of all the, lo the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him, through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, do not be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you so much, Adam, as we continue our series from the book of Ephesians. And just to recall that the book of Ephesians is uh, part of um, a section of the Pauline epistles known as the prison epistles. These are letters that Paul wrote from while he was in prison uh, for the gospel. Other books are Philippians, Colossians, and a personal um, letter to uh, Philemon. They're so named, as I said, because it was during his time of incarceration. It was generally accepted that Paul wrote the prison epistles during his first Roman imprisonment. The exact dates he wrote each of the prison epistles is unknown, but the two-year period he spent under house arrest in Rome have been narrowed down to probably around AD 60 to AD 62. Paul's imprisonment in Rome is verified by the book of Acts, where we find references to his being guarded by soldiers in Acts chapter 28 and being permitted to receive, actually, to receive visitors and having opportunities to share the gospel. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. Uh, just a tremendous testimony of God's grace and power in difficult times. These details, along with Paul's mention of being with those who belong to Caesar's household, support the view that Paul wrote the prison epistles from Rome. 
Paul's Roman incarceration produced three great letters. As we said, the, the letters to the church of Ephesus, the letters to the Colossians, and the church at Philippi. Paul's mention of believers in, in Caesar's household speaks volume of his commitment to share the gospel, even under dire circumstances. Philippians 4 verse 22 reads this, all God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. <laughs> I, I, I cannot even begin to imagine how this was accomplished by the Apostle Paul. Now, rather than being uh, housed in a common, as a common criminal, in, 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 in a regular jail, the apostle was actually permitted to live in a house that he rented according to you know, the book of Acts. But even though he was under quote-unquote house arrest, Acts chapter 28 tells us that he was bound in chains and in the company of a guard. So you can imagine Paul being bound in chains and in, in the company of a guard both day and night, 24-7 as you would say. And this, this you know, Roman soldier, is, is, he, he, might, he, he himself might be um, shackled along with Paul or at least committed to be in the presence of Paul during this time. I can imagine some conversations like this. Good morning. How are you doing today? Let me tell you about my Savior, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Let me tell you about my Savior. Let me tell you about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The one who you have heard about that was crucified. Uh, let me talk to you about him. I don't want to hear about him. Well, guess what? You ain't going anywhere. <laughs> you can't go anywhere. You can't go anywhere. So you are going to hear about the, you know, my Lord and Savior. Because the guard couldn't leave. He was bound by duty to be in the presence of the Apostle Paul. So somehow after conversations. And then one day. This guard gives his heart to the Lord and he goes off duty and he goes to the, you know, to the other guards and says, hey, uh, guys, I want to tell you something fantastic. I want to tell you about, uh, you know, <laughs> Jesus of Nazareth. This man who you know, is on the house arrest, this, this man, Saul of Tarsus, who is on the house arrest, they call him Paul now, but uh, he told me about this Christ. I don't want to hear about him. I don't want to hear about him. Oh, you will. <laughs> Are you on duty next? <laughs> so he comes and he's on duty next and he can't go anywhere. Paul, uh, good morning. How are you today? I'd like to tell you about my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I don't want to hear about him. Well, guess what? Next eight hours, you're going to be with me. You're going to hear about my Jesus. 
I don't know if it went something like that, but somewhere along the line, Paul's influence and persuasion of the gospel of Christ had an effect on these guards and had an effect to the extent that the book of Acts will tell us about his imprisonment. But the book of Philippians chapter 4 will read like this. All God's people send their greetings, especially those of the, who belong to Caesar's household. Wow. So even while in prison, God was able to use Paul. Now, I'll be honest. If I had a choice as to where to be used by God, I, I definitely would not choose prison. <laughs> I definitely would not you know, choose prison. And, and um, you know, Paul wasn't the first. Ask, ask uh, Joseph in the Old Testament. My, my, my all-time favorite Old Testament personality. But as Paul wrote to the Ephesians church, and he is in prison, and he, he tells the church at Ephesus that there is a mystery going on. And that mystery had to do with how God dealt with a certain form of bigotry that existed in the early church. He wrote, the mystery of Christ was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to the holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow ears, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise of Christ, Jesus, through the gospel. Folks, I want to remind you of just two basic facts this morning. And if we are reminded of that and we embrace that and we live that, we'll be all right in Christ. The first is that we are saved to be Christians. We are saved to be Christians. We're saved to be followers of Christ. In other words, know who you are. For the first three and a half years of its existence, the early church was made up entirely of Jews. Only Jews. There were no Gentiles in the early church. First three and a half years. And the mark of being a Jew, as we all know, the ceremonial mark of being a Jew was circumcision. It helps to understand that God had segregated the Israelites from Gentiles. I remember, as I said, Abraham was a Gentile. <laughs> Abraham was a Gentile, called out from among the Gentiles, to become a Jew. The Israelites were God's chosen people. 
And the Gentiles, uh, they simply were not. Because of that segregation, the Israelites, who took their faith seriously, literally had nothing to do with Gentiles. Now, God did that, that is, separated Jews from Gentiles, not because the Jews were better than the Gentiles, because, as the Word of God tells us, all are sinners, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No, God did that because he wanted one nation to serve literally as a container who would receive and hold and protect his law and the promise of the coming Messiah, Jesus. And that's how things used to be. But once the church was founded, God had plans for the Gentiles. In the book of Acts chapter 10 through 15, we're told how God set those plans in motion. You know, um, you can read it for yourself, but it was in that section of Acts that God told Peter, what God has, clean, has made clean, do not call common. And then Peter went and preached to and baptized in the name of Christ the first set of Gentile believers. We were saved by God to be Christians. We were not saved to be Americans. We were not saved to be Republicans, to be Democrats. We were not saved to be black or white or Hispanic. Paul tells the Ephesians, this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are ears together with Israel, members together of one body, and us together in the promise of Jesus Christ. We are saved to be one body. You know, the interesting thing you know, is that identity theft, is the fastest growing criminal element that like a cancer has infiltrated almost every section of our society so uh, it's not just in the u.s it's all over the world identity theft a criminal gets a hold of your name first name last name middle name your social security number your birthday and wow They have created a false identity. They're now you. Oh, the, you know they're not you. But the people at the bank, they don't know they're not you. You know that they're not you. But the people at the stores, they don't know that, they're, that they are not you. But you know they're not you, but because it's identity theft. It's a false identity. The devil has been handing out false identities to Christians. And unfortunately, some of us have not only accepted, or have not only accepted these false identities, but we have been using them. Mm. As Christians, we have been born into God's kingdom, which means we have our citizenship that is in the kingdom of God. We're citizens of the kingdom of God, and that is our true identity. 
where we have been accepting false ident identifications from other kingdoms. You see, our identification is based on that citizenship. The citizenship of the kingdom of God. You know, when I migrated to the United States, no, I, I really, I really had all intentions of returning to the Caribbean. Didn't work out that way. And I filed for my green card, got my green card. Then I filed for citizenship, pretty much for one reason, I wanted to vote. <laughs> I wanted to be a part of the political process. I literally, I wanted to vote. People with green cards, if you're not a citizen, you can't vote. And I was conflicted as I said the pledge of citizenship. I was conflicted. I'll be honest, I was conflicted because Saying the pledge to the, to, to the United States meant that I was renouncing my allegiance to Jamaica. But through some technicalities, they, you know, the government of the U.S. and the government of Jamaica allow what's called dual citizenship. <laughs> so some years ago, I was traveling and I was going to Jamaica. And I'm going through Boston, um, Logan Airport, and I use my U.S. passport to, you know, go through. When I reached to Jamaica, I didn't want to be treated like a, like, like a foreigner. So I used my Jamaican passport, and I got treated, you know, as a citizen returning. And when I was leaving Jamaica, I used my Jamaican passport. I came back, you know, um, JFK in, in, in New York, and I pulled out my U.S. passport, and I, you know, I put it through, and the, the um, immigration officer looked at me and said, uh, Sir, um, where are you coming from? I said, Jamaica. And he, he's flipping through, flipping through, flipping through, flipping through my U.S. passport, which obviously has no record of me being in Jamaica. <laughs> and he said, uh, sir, there's no record of you uh, embarking. I said, oh, and I went into my pocket and I said, oh, uh, it's, in my, it's in my Jamaican passport. Oh, you can't do that. You can't do that. Sir, you can't do that. And, and he went on a tirade. And at first it was comical to me, and then afterwards I'm saying, what is, the, what is the fuss about? And then by the third time I was thinking it through, I'm saying, you know what, he's right. <laughs> and unfortunately, some Christians have dual citizenship. <laughs> they have a citizenship with the kingdom of God, and then they have citizenship at, with some other kingdom. And it can't be, that can't work. Some believers have dual citizenship because they have been issued a false ID by the devil, and they're using it. And because of that, 
They don't know who they are. They don't know who their fellow citizens are. Their allegiance is split, it's divided, it's conflicted, and as a result, they don't know who they are. They don't know who their brothers and sisters are. James tells us that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. The Word of God tells us that when we are in Christ, we should be single-minded. Amen. It's a sad thing when a person does not know who they are. To know who you are, you have to know who your father is. To know who you are, you have to know where your citizenship lies. So who is your father? Who is your father? There are some countries and some, you know, and some communities in, in, in various, almost in every country, where unfortunately, fatherhood is like a, it's like a dying, it's, it, it's, fatherhood is a, it, it's, it's a dying part of society. I went to school with a number of guys from the low socioeconomic uh, part of Kingston. And, and, you know, I spoke about my father, and I, I'm blessed. I, you know, I, I grew up in a, a home with a father and a mother. Father who loved and cared for and expressed his love in various ways. And some of my classmates at school, I, 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 I childishly and foolishly asked about, you know, I don't, have, I, don't have a, I, I don't have a father. I don't have a father. And in my naive, simplistic way of interpreting that, I thought that they, you know, that, that, that my friend's father had died. And it wasn't that the, the biological father had died, it was that he was nowhere in existence in his life. He was non-existent in his life. He was not participating in the life of this child. And that is such an issue and not just in the low income brackets but all across the world not just all across the world folks it is an issue and so children are growing up and they really don't know who they are because they don't know who their father is humanly speaking and spiritually speaking, if you don't know your heavenly father is your father, then I'm saying you really don't know who you are. What's the prayer that Jesus taught us? Come on now. What's the prayer that Jesus taught us? That we pray every Sunday here at, at Boston Church. What's the prayer? It starts with our father who art in heaven. Our father. We have to know who our father is. Secondly, we have to know where our citizenship lies. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20. Paul tells the Philippian church, but our citizenship is in heaven. Amen. Amen. You have to know who you are. 
There's an old chorus that, you know, you know I mean, I, it's not just the country um, churches, uh, Geraldine, but the churches in Kingston sing it too. <laughs> I know it was the blood. I know it was the blood. I know it was the blood. Save me. One day when I was lost, Jesus died upon the cross. And I know it was the blood. Save me. Which means nothing else. Nothing else. That's that, that, that blood of Christ. Nothing else will suffice. Nothing else will do. Nothing more will do. Amen. Nothing less, nothing more. It is the blood of Christ. One day when I was lost, Jesus died upon the cross. And I know. Do you know? Do you know it? Amen. And I know it was the blood. Save me. You see, the, 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 the thing that we have to understand is this. We have to differentiate between true religion. True religion. We have to differentiate between that and what's fake. We have to differentiate between having a personal relationship with God and, 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 and going through the motions. Having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. One person puts it this way, a fake religion is like a baby pacifier. <laughs> a fake religion is like a baby pacifier. A baby pacifier looks like the real thing. <laughs> Amen? It looks like the real thing. Whether you're talking about the mother's, you know, breast, or you're talking about the, 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 the bottle. The baby pacifier looks like the real thing. And the baby pacifier is actually given to the child when the child cries out. When the, it, it is given to satisfy, you know, a need. But, there are two differences, two major differences. With a baby pacifier, there's no nutrition. There's no substance. There's no nutritional value. There is no substance. There's no nutrition for growth. There's no nutrition for strength. There's no nutrition to fight off the viruses, to fight off the disease. There is no nutrition. And if you do not have a personal relationship with God, if you're just going through the motion, you're like a baby sucking on a baby pacifier. There is no, you will not get nutrition unless you are connected with Christ. Amen. Unless you have a personal relationship with Christ. Here's the other thing about a baby pacifier. Just like the baby with the pacifier who sucks and chews on that pacifier, really working on that thing. If you work long enough and you see babies, they're chewing, they're chewing, they're sucking and they work long enough, what happens to them? <laughs> they eventually fall asleep.
That's a telling truth to false religion. You go through the motions long enough, you go through working, whether, whether you're trying to do good works, you're, you're, you go through the motions long enough, you go through working long enough, sooner or later, if, you're not, if you are not connected with Christ, sooner or later you are simply going to fall asleep, spiritually. You have to know who you are. The second truth that I want to share with you this morning is that you're safe to be one with others. In other words, you must know who your brother is. You must know who your sister is. James chapter 1 tells us, if anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Why? Because James tells us, hear this, with the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father. Hallelujah, hallelujah, praise the Lord. We praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, my sisters, James says, this ought not to be so. About a hundred years ago, Gandhi, Mahatma Gandhi, he was a student in India and became interested in the Bible. He was a law student. After reading the Gospels, he was deeply touched and seriously considered becoming a Christian. Now, we know that in India, the society was divided, it still is, divided up into the caste system, where those in the lower caste were generally segregated and looked down on, on by those in the higher caste. Gandhi had experienced that kind of bigotry and felt Christianity offered a solution to that. So one Sunday, Gandhi went to a church wanting to learn how to become a Christian and to learn what the Bible taught. But when he got there, the ushers refused to seat him and they even suggested that he go and worship with his own people. He left, never came back. He said, if Christians have caste differences also, <laughs> I might as well remain a Hindu. Sad judgment on that church. You see, in essence, God taught Peter when he said, what I have made, what I have created, what I have cleansed, you do not call unclean, you do not call common. God taught Peter 
And then the Jewish church, that the Gentiles were now to be part of God's kingdom. All the Gentiles needed to do to become Christians was the same thing that the Jews had to do. Believe that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, repent of their sins, confess Jesus as their Lord and Master, be baptized in Christ and live the life for Jesus. There was no circumcision required. Whoa, 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 whoa. Say, say, say what? You see, the Jews were teaching. Oh, you can, you can get saved. You can become a Christian. But before you become a Christian, you got to become a Jew. After you're a Jew, then you can become a Christian. And Paul said, no. No. That's not the gospel. Because don't forget, Abraham, Father Abraham, he was originally a Gentile. <laughs> he was originally a Gentile. So technically, you ain't better than the Gentiles at all. You are just a nation. Because that's what Gentile, the word Gentile actually means. Nations. Gentiles did not have to become Jews before they became Christians. That was the mystery. That was the, you know, for, for hundreds, for thousands of years. The Jewish, the Jewish people had a monopoly on salvation. They had a monopoly, so to speak, on the presence of God. They had a monopoly on the laws of God. They had a monopoly. You're saying what? You're saying what? That we have to give up all of that? That all of that didn't mean, does, doesn't, mean, doesn't mean a thing? That we don't get special privileges? We don't get special perks because of that? Uh, nope. Because it has nothing to do with that. It has to do with the mystery of the Christ who came and died. It had to do with the mystery of the, of the salvation that is given to all, that is given and available to all as God calls. They are churchgoers who will curse other people on, you know, on, on Facebook. Facebook and Twitter, oh my goodness, wow. What people are able to write on Facebook and Twitter and hide behind uh, you know, um, a, a username is sad. Because sometimes Christians are writing stuff or posting stuff that it's not really uplifting to Christ. It's not. It's not treating a brother right. It's not treating a sister right. And they could be cursing them because they disagree with them on politics or because they, they do or do not support some movement like, like the BLM movement or because they are different in some ways. And folks, I'm going to say this is evil. 
Do not ever find yourself talking or even thinking of people in terms of those people this or those people that. If you do that, is that pleasing to God? I don't think so. Is that uplifting the name of Christ? I don't think so. Because if that's the case, then you really don't know who your brother is. You really don't know who your sister is. We can get caught up in a lie. It's so easy. And the interesting thing about the lie that the devil normally portrays is that the devil's lie has a lot of truth to it. It's not, it's not, it's not usually pure flat out lie where you can recognize it and just say, yeah, that's a lie from hell. There's always a little bit of truth to it. It's like, you know, going back all the way back to the Garden of Eden when, 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 when the devil started talking with Eve. You know, he, he, he told some truth there. You know, he, he told some truth. He actually said, you know, well, you know, God said this. But do you know why God told you this? It's because he doesn't want you to be like him. Now, he did reference what God told Eve and Adam. Yeah, and he was correct. But he was using all of that to try to, to, try to deceive. Still his plan today. Still his plan today. So my question is, because someone doesn't talk like you, because someone doesn't think like you, because someone doesn't, you know, uh, look like you, then he's not your brother or she's not your sister. So do you think heaven will only be filled by folks who look like you? <laughs> do you think heaven will only be, you know, filled with folks who, who, who talk like you or who believe like you? Hear what the Apostle John saw. After this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, amen, from every tribe, every people, every language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and they were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, amen. That is the scene of heaven. That is the coronation of her, of her king. That is what it will be. This should be our theology. Every sinner is a potential saint. Amen. Every sinner is a potential saint. Every stranger a potential friend. Every enemy a potential brother. So said Franklin Kendall Fall. May the mystery of God be open to your heart this morning. Let us pray.